100 Moments That Rocked Computer Science with Professor Sue Black, OBE. Coming up, we'll hear all about an extraordinary innovation. We had a global internet at the beginning of the pandemic. The challenges that led to its discovery. I was told very firmly by a professor at Southampton that uh, there was no future for me either at Southampton or in computer science. And the impact that it had on our world and maybe our future. You can think of the web as maybe the largest laboratory space ever created. All this and more as we explore another moment that rocks computer science. Moment number four, the birth of web science. Hi there, I'm Professor Sue Black and joining me as always is Professor Gordon Love, Head of Computer Science at Durham University. Hi Gordon. Uh, Hi Sue, how are you? Yeah, I'm all right, thank you. And you? Yep, fine. I'm sat overlooking a view of Richmond Castle as we speak. That's Richmond in in Yorkshire. Yorkshire. Yeah, it's a lovely Norman Castle, famous because it had conscientious objectors in World War One in prison. There, a bit of a sad wow. story. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know about that. Was that the the thing where people had to wear white feathers and? Well, yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, people did have them. Yeah, and there's lots of uh, you know graffiti carved on on the inside. <laughs> what sort of graffiti? Sorry. What, what sort of what by people who during World War One? Yeah, people people who were prisoners in World War One. Yeah, I mean, graffitied their names and the fact that they were, you know, in prison there. Oh wow! Okay. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So I suddenly thought you meant like spray cans and stuff, but no, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no. Here at Durham, we're passionate about computer science, how it led us to where we are, and where it will take us in the future. That's what we're here to talk to you about. In each episode, we're going to be sharing a moment from history that helped shape both computer science and the world around us. I'll be exploring the science behind the moment. And I'll be speaking to a special guest about why it was so extraordinary. Don't forget, you can email us with any questions about today's episode or computer science at Durham using 100moments at durham.ac.uk. So, Gordon, what is web science and what for you makes its emergence such a special moment? Uh, Web science, Sue, is the study of the web. And I think in particular, the study of it from a societal perspective. Okay. So it's a really interdisciplinary field involving not only computer science uh, and science in general, but sociology, law, ethics, politics, even even philosophy. So, So why does the web need a whole science devoted to it? I think very simply because... Uh, the web is one of the most significant developments in the whole history of mankind. Yeah. I mean, that might sound like a bit of a grandiose statement, but honestly, I I, I really think that's true. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I like to draw analogies or parallels between the development of the web and the development of books and the development of the printing press. Um, you know, obviously, it happened an awful long time ago now, but before the printing press, Books were enormously valuable items. You know, they were they were typically religious texts. So in Western civilization, it would be things like the Bible, uh, and they were carefully crafted by monks. And you know, just generating one book, one copy of the Bible, might be a whole lifetime's work. And of course, every wow. day, 
general people wouldn't have access to a Bible. And then along came the printing press and the whole, the whole world changed. Books were still expensive, but they were no longer the preserve of specialist organizations. And then over time, books became cheaper and cheaper and more and more people could think about the prospect of becoming a writer. So yeah, and in a nutshell, books revolutionized the world and, and human knowledge. And I think the same is true for the web. It's just that the pace of change is so much faster. You know, we, we started off with specialist computers, which were the preserve of large organizations like, you know, universities, um, so mainframes, and then personal computers were developed. Um, and similarly, the internet uh, was a way of connecting up these computers and the, and the web was the platform which allowed the sharing of, uh, of data and information. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, it has made such a massive difference. I think even just, um, I'm just, you know, just making me think of when I was a PhD student 20 something years ago. And for me to get access to a research paper, I had to fill in a paper form in the library and uh, send it off to the British Library. And maybe six weeks later, I'd get that research paper. Whereas now you just click on a link because it's like such a massive difference having the internet and being able to access so much information so quickly. Yeah, no, absolutely. I can see the analogy with books, definitely. But the web's so much more than that, isn't it? Yes, exactly. And I think that's what makes web science interesting. So, I mean, books are, if you like, one-way streets. And by that, I mean, there's, they're a kind of a one-way avenue for transmitting information from, from the author to the reader. Uh, what's so interesting about the web, and that's what makes web science interesting, is that the web is, if you like, a two-way street or even a multi-way street it allows people to interact, you know, things like Facebook, Snapchat, TikTok. These are not just one-way flows of information. They involve communications, communities. And indeed, I think it's fair to say, you know, they're so important that they're one of the key components of modern society, which rightly or wrongly, probably a mixture of both, they, they mould the world in which we live. And, and studying this is really one example of web science. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. So as you know, I love Twitter uh, and I've done loads of stuff with um, social media and it, you know, it's really changed my life. And well, of course, enabled me to, to run the campaign to save Bletchley Park. Social media was just massive uh, in that campaign. So yeah, absolutely. I feel like I, c I can't imagine a world now without social media. Yeah. Um, so what topics are a web scientist looking at and why? Um, I like to think of this in terms of a, a whole web, another web, a web of disciplines or a web of topics. So there are, there are topics which are, you know, familiar to traditional computer scientists, so things like artificial intelligence or computer vision. And then there are things like law, sociology, media studies, economics, things that are, you know, further away from computer science. Yeah. So let, let me let me maybe give you a specific example. Okay, cool. So studying the echo chamber effect would be web science and that's the effect whereby we all tend to look at things on the internet which mirror our own views of the world and then which make our own views more entrenched i mean i think we all like to think that we're enlightened but in reality i think we're all guilty of this to a to a certain certain extent and studying this would be a classic topic within the realm of web science right well that's really interesting i've just been reading um christopher wiley's book I can't I can't say the name <laughs> polite society um which is really interesting talking about what they were doing uh, with Cambridge Analytica and the kind of scraping the Facebook data and stuff which is all totally around that um kind of stuff yeah. so I highly recommend his book yeah absolutely 
and I think it's you know the, this echo chamber effect is 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 one of the reasons why we're seeing the world become more and more polarized. I think people's opinions are spreading further apart. I'm not sure that's great for society, but it's it's something we've seen very clearly over the last uh, few years. I'm sounding like a political scientist here. I'm meant to be the computer science guy here, but again, I'm straying away from my core expertise here. But yeah, that's my that's my view. Yeah, I'm personally convinced that it's the interaction between computer science and societal issues, so things around law and ethics, for example, which are genuinely some of the most important issues in the modern world. Absolutely things we should be researching. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, bias in AI will be another classic area, something which I know is close to your heart, Sue. Yeah, absolutely. Well, because I've set up a bias and AI research group at, at Durham. And uh, yeah, we're looking at things like language models like GPT-3 and how biased or not biased they are. And so far, we're finding that they're quite biased. Um, so yeah, there are lots of issues around this area that we're really keen to um, look at. Yeah. As computer scientists then, what does websites mean to us, Gordon? The opportunity offered by an unknown frontier in science. I hope that's not another grandiose statement, but I really do <laughs> think it's such a such a huge issue for computer science and for for society as a whole. You know, you can think of the web as maybe the largest laboratory space ever created. Wow. You know, got astounding amounts of data being synthesized, analyzed, deconstructed, and theorized over. You know, we, we can now create experiments which would never been possible just couple of decades ago yeah and i think you know we're at the beginning of a of a journey into discovering what what further changes the the web will bring so this is absolutely you know web science is absolutely for me a, a moment that's rocked computer science cool thanks very much gordon thanks sue This week's guest is Regis, Professor of Computer Science and Executive Director of the Web Science Institute, Dame Professor Wendy Hall. Wendy's forthcoming book, For Internets, explores the geopolitical pressures on the internet, arguing that it must remain a global, universal tool and that data governance must be strengthened. I spoke to Wendy to understand more about the birth of Web Science and her role in it. Hi, Wendy, and welcome to the show. Hi, Sue, and thanks for asking me. It's a pleasure to have you um, here today. So we're going to be talking about web science with you. So can you tell us to start with, what is web science and why do we need it? So web science is the study of the web, but not just the technology. It's about how people use that technology, but more importantly, how we actually uh, co-create the ecosystem that is the web. It's a very socio-technical approach to looking at the ecosystem that has become so dominant in our lives. Yeah. The easiest way for me to explain what it is, is to to go back to why we thought it was important in the first place. Oh, okay. Brilliant. So before we get there, I think our listeners would love to know about your early involvement in the web itself. Do you want to tell us a bit about that? I became interested in computers when I saw video on a computer, basically, back in the 80s. When I came into computing, it was in the era of the personal computers, and I was interested in um, the use of knowledge-based systems in education, how they would help people learn. And then I, I started to see this, this new technology coming out where we could put videos on computers and sound on computers and text documents on computers. Accessing files. Accessing files. Today, yeah. we could do all that on our, our smartphones, and we're, we're sitting here talking, using this technology 
we can see each other, you can hear us. But you know, the world today was science fiction then, it was very clunky, there was no digital anything. Computer science was about writing compilers and programming languages and operating systems. And, um, you know, I famously tell the story that when I started playing around with what today we call multimedia, I was told very firmly by a professor at Southampton that uh, there was no future for me either at Southampton or in computer science. <gasps> And then I met Ted Nelson and um, learned about hypermedia and from him the idea of linking documents and, and different types of media yeah. using computers to help you find what's in the what, what information's there. And he had this yeah. vision of Xanadu and a global a global hypermedia network. And I started designing a system we called Microcosm, which was about it was a hypermedia system to give people access to lots of information different types of media using the video displays and so on and I went to Hypermedia Conference in um, Paris in 1990 that's where I first met Tim Berners-Lee amazing he was just you know he'd written his document about the World Wide Web he hadn't called it the World Wide Web then but he put the first website up that Christmas and uh, you know I, I worked with him uh, a lot during those early days in the web and you know, our system, Microcosm, was it was a wonderful hypermedia system, very sophisticated type of linking, and in fact quite prescient of the semantic web. But it was written uh, to run on a Windows PC, which at the time was not necessarily connected to the internet. It's hard to, to think of it, but in those days, not everything was connected to the internet. We were <laughs> yeah. using email, but I tended to use a workstation, you know, linked to a mainframe. Yeah, We were using proprietary standards, and we were thinking about selling this as a commercial system. In fact, we did set up a company to sell it which attracted a lot of investment at the time. But what Tim got right was that he designed the World Wide Web as a set of open protocols and standards that were free for anyone to have access to, open and universal in that sense, and he built it on top of the internet. So this distributed, decentralised from the get-go. And that's what, um, you know, cut long story short, that's what enabled the web to grow and flourish. But over quite a long period of time, you know, he put the first website up at the end of 1990, but Google didn't really emerge onto the scene until near, you know, 1999, 2000. And Facebook started as the Facebook at Harvard in 2004. And Twitter didn't start till, well, you were probably there at the birth suit. Almost, yeah. I think 2006, 2007, yeah. The time you're talking about is when I was doing my degree. Um, so I did my degree from 89 to 93. And yeah, I remember we were using, so we were using email, which I thought was incredible. You know, I, I didn't know about it before I went to uni. And um, it was quite a long time after that, that the kind of general public started using email. Um, yes. Maybe 10 years or something. I can't, you know, I can't really remember. This is, this is one of the things we look at in websites. We look at how things have evolved in the past in order to see what might happen in the future. And um, we didn't have computers in our homes then because there was no broadband and there was no Wi-Fi. And the way to get you had to get onto a computer if you didn't have the, the universities we had yeah. the network connections but yeah. at home you had to get a modem no. and dial in and that dreadful yeah. sound and then it would, yeah. it would take too long to download anything and it would all cut out and it would cut and it know. was always dropping it was yeah. always dropping and you had to dial up again we used to call it the worldwide wait because you couldn't <laughs> it took so long for anything to download you couldn't envis envisage shopping or booking no, anything no absolutely so was there a, a particular moment when kind of websites came about 
Tim's vision, if you look back, his talk at the first web conference in 1994 was actually about the semantic web. In his mind, he'd done the web, right? Even though it had yet to grow into what (laughs) what we see today. His vision was always that it wasn't just about linking documents. He said it was all about linking data and that when... When you can link data, then machines can infer information about what's linked to what and why that link is there. And that's what Tim referred to as the semantic web. And he talked about it in his, the, the very first web conference. But people didn't get it because they didn't get the web of linked documents yet. So in a way, that had to be born and grow and be used. And they needed a Google. By 2004... Tim was beginning to, to realise that he needed to have data. We needed to be able to show people, just as in the early web, you had to get people putting up documents and then link them and then people could see what was happening. There was already some linked data out there, but we needed a lot more. And so Tim was thinking about how do, how do we get this movement going? And we were at the web conference in New York in 2004 and we went out to dinner with him. Uh, the Southampton team we always took a whole coach load or jumbo jet load to the conference <laughs> and um, you know on the way back to the hotel I remember it distinctly he said look I, I, I need more ambassadors for the semantic web you know I, I need people in Europe help me build this can we make Southampton a base for this and that began the discussion um, about how we would get more people using or developing semantic web And we started to look back at how the web had grown. I remember the first meeting about this. We decided to have a meeting. And as you did in those days, you had to fly to meetings. So we flew to MIT, and uh, this was in the October of 2004, and there was myself and Nigel and Tim and Danny, and we sat around Tim's whiteboard in his office and um, started brainstorming, you know... The web of the future, if you like, and looking back to how it had grown to that point. Remember, this is before Facebook, before Twitter. And we we realised as we went through this that actually you couldn't think of this from just a technological point of view. You had to think of it from a socio-technical point of view. And we began to realise as we talked to social scientists how, um, how much these ecosystems are co-created by people and technology doing things together but without having any knowledge of each other and how people influence the development of the technology. It wasn't just user interfaces. It wasn't just human computer interfaces. It wasn't us. It wasn't simply us using the technology. We were co-creating the system. Yeah. And in 2006, we actually decided to launch the Web Science Research Initiative, which was a joint initiative between uh, MIT and Southampton. Okay. It's about how you, you know, enabling research and education in this field to flourish. And the key thing, the key thing about it is it's socio-technical work. So we really try very hard to make sure we have social scientists and lawyers and ethicists and psychologists and mathematicians and business people and economists and historians. You know, it's a mix of uh, disciplines uh, studying how this ecosystem has evolved and is evolving and might evolve in the future. So... In those early days then, that, that must have been quite a new concept in a way. I mean, now it's obvious to us that technology impacts society and vice versa. But maybe going back 15 years, although it's hardly a lifetime, maybe back then people were less aware. How well received was web science at the start? 
We were very academic in the early days. Yeah. I mean, how do you launch a new discipline? Yeah. Computer science was was quite a difficult discipline to launch, actually. You know, the electronic engineers didn't think they needed a new discipline called computer science. And there was a huge debate about whether to call it science or engineering, which in a way we still struggle with today because it is both. Yeah, there's quite a lot of snobbery, don't you think? Well, there was. I mean, I don't know about now, but definitely, you know, like when I was doing my degree and my PhD, you know, like even software engineering is is seen as kind of fluffy um, because it wasn't kind of hardcore computer science. So do you think, have we moved away from that? You know, computer science has had a long gestation and it's still not mature as a science. Yeah. I would argue, and we still don't, you know, we don't treat it as a science in schools. It's still far too much thought of as information technology, that, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. learn how to use a word processor type thing. And you and I know it is a science and it is an, you know, we build things and we study things. So it is both. You know, we've actually made quite a lot of progress in the UK in treating computer science as a, as a, as a first class discipline. In Europe, it's much less. In some countries in Europe, they really don't have it in the school curriculum at all. Yeah. So think about launching another discipline, right? Yeah. And I, we could have just made it a branch of computer science, but we felt so, so, uh, it was so important to stress this is a socio-technical, interdisciplinary subject. Well, that's a really interesting point about interdisciplinary research in computer science or, or across computer science and other disciplines, because, you know, we know that it's easier to get the technology to work than it is to get it to be fit for purpose for people, right? So actually, that's the more difficult thing to do. So have you got anything to say about our kind of trajectory from, you know, research being very sort of compartmentalised and very focused on the sort of very nuts and boltsy kind of stuff? And and now we're moving towards it being more accepted that the people issues are important. Things like net zero, energy supply, food, uh, all the pandemics, all the big issues that we have in society, you need an interdisciplinary team to handle. And so I think the world is telling us we need to be thinking interdisciplinary in the, the way we build our systems in the future. Have you got any examples of how web science has been able to kind of directly affect our lives in a positive way? Well, I think... There are many, but the the one that springs to mind is the work that we do on analysing social networks. And, of course, lots of people do this type of work now. They don't all call themselves web scientists. But studying how people behave, what they do... In a way, it's sort of anthropological because you once, you know, you know the old story that once people know they're being studied, they change their behavior. So yeah. it's you sort of and you but you can't you don't want to be lurking on the web. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got to be very careful in getting the ethics permissions to do this type of work and set your studies up well. Hmm. You know, the, the thing that really took a lot of us by surprise was and in retrospect you can see what was going to happen because the internet and the web work on the network effect i.e the more people that use things the more people use it you have the growth of these it was almost inevitable that once it went people started to do commercial things on the internet and the web it would we create these huge monopolies, which we've seen, or oligopolies, whatever you want to call them, the Facebooks, the Twitters, the Googles, the Amazons, the Ebays, and their equivalents in China. You know, every day there are many web science stories in the media because it's all about how these companies collect all our data and we don't read the terms and conditions. And then how do we how do we regulate that? Whose responsibility is it? All that sort of thing. 
studying what people do and attitudes to the things that are good and bad about what the internet and the web give us uh, is a really important part of web science. And so we've had some amazing papers that have come out that really give insights into criminal behaviour and antisocial behaviour, right? The dominance of the social networks and our behaviour on it. You know, the, the threats to democracy even. I mean, when, when we were first talking about in the early days of the web, we used to sit around and talk about the democratisation of knowledge. We, we thought it would lead to more democracies in the world. In actual fact, it's actually threatening democracy in the way it's evolving. And, uh, you know, that's, that's something that uh, web scientists study. We, a lot of political scientists um, are involved in what we do. Yeah. And also, of course, the good things that the internet has given us. And the thing I like to talk about in the pandemic is when last February, March, we all piled onto the internet to do this sort of thing. The internet stayed up and running and working, right? Yeah. Amazing testament to the pioneers of the internet and to the way Tim designed the web that the systems have just worked. Yeah. We've just piled onto Zoom and TikTok and Amazon and it didn't collapse. Do you remember when we used yeah. to talk about how would the internet break when too many people got on it? We had a global internet at the beginning of the pandemic and that was unbelievably... <laughs> it was our lifeline, not just for our sanity, but for our governments to actually exchange information about how to deal with this issue, both nationally and internationally. That's amazing. That was just so interesting. Thank you so much for your time today, Wendy. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Oh, well, so it's always a pleasure talking to you and thank you for inviting me. I think 100 Moments That Rock Computer Science is a fabulous title for a podcast. Amazing to hear from Wendy there. Did anything particular jump out at you, Gordon? It's always fantastic, I think, to hear someone talk uh, about their subject when they were there right at the very beginning which clearly yeah. Wendy was so uh, really yeah. fascinating to to hear such a broad and interesting perspective on the subject I thought it was also really interesting to hear that she said that you know she'd had colleagues that that originally said it wasn't a inverted commas a proper subject but you yeah know, turning out to be so important nowadays yeah absolutely I've known Wendy for a long time and she was in fact my first ever mentor a uh, very oh, long fantastic. time ago, a couple of decades ago yeah um so she's you know been really um fundamental kind of supportive in my career and um you know, technology really is, a lot of it is all about the people. You know, if we don't have any people using technology, what's the point of it? So, you know, people and uh, their interactions with technology are just so important. Well, history's full of examples like that, don't they? People see the value of something in, in retrospect. Yeah, that's very true. And quite often women are involved in that as well, in terms of being the people that are, are, are saying things which are very important, but then disregarded. Mm-hmm. So, Gordon, is website something that students will be able to study if they come to Durham? Uh, yes. I mean, as I hope is clear from, from this podcast, you know, web science yeah. isn't an isolated subject. You don't just do one course on web science, but you, you study many different uh, areas which, which then draw to together to make web science so at durham students study topics such as you know networks sort of the key tech part of uh, uh, of web science i guess but also things like modeling modeling in the humanities and social sciences bioinformatics data science all key building blocks of web science yeah 
So they can also take modules in, in other departments or even take a degree in, in natural sciences, which would involve partly studying computer science and partly studying other topics, other subjects as well. Right. Okay. That sounds great. Yeah. Really enjoyed it. Need to get out now and get some fresh air. Probably going to have a walk not too far from Richmond Castle. Well, I look forward to seeing your photos of the castle up on Facebook. I might go for a walk, but I don't have any castles around here, unfortunately. But yeah, actually, there's a pub called The Castle near me. Maybe I should go there. (laughs) Yeah. Don't forget, we want to hear the moments that rocks your world of computer science. You can email us using 100moments at durham.ac.uk or tweet us at 100momentscs. We might even use your ideas in the next series. Tune in next time for another moment that rocked computer science. Computer science. 100 Moments That Rock Computer Science was a Why Did the Chicken production for Durham University. It was presented by Professor Sue Black OBE and Professor Gordon Love and featured the voice of Otis Dealey. With thanks to our incredible guest, Dane Professor Wendy Hall. The researcher was Dr. Craig Stewart, the producer, Redzi Bernard, and the executive producer, Dan Page. If you enjoyed the show, please do three lovely things for us. Subscribe, rate us on iTunes, and tell a friend. 